Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want or at least avoid the lightning bolt. Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused, but at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God, the God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us, personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God? Well, good morning. I wanna take just a moment to let you know of a few things that are happening in the immediate future in our church family. Uh, next week, we have our first youth worship kickoff. So students, uh, we are returning to first youth worship rehearsal uh, next Sunday evening and kickoff next Sunday evening. Be sure to be here for that. Also, we have a very special annual back uh, to school prayer night. And not just for parents, we're inviting our church family to come and pray over our students and teachers as they begin a brand new year, a brand new school year. Please come be a part of that as well. Reengage. Our next Reengage season is September 6th. And our vision for Reengage over the next few years is every couple by 2027. We believe wholeheartedly that Reengage, our marriage ministry, is for every single couple, no matter how long you've been married, where you are, your journey in marriage. So if you haven't done Reengage yet, register today. It begins September 6th. Next week, we have Lord's Supper, and especially to you moms and dads, we encourage you to have conversations with your kiddos about why we do this thing that we call the Lord's Supper. We have some resources in the back that you can take home with you that will guide you through some of those conversations, but we will have Lord's Supper together next week. Lastly, um, we have a missions report, a UK Ukraine report from the Ukraine team immediately following worship in the fellowship hall. Um, I believe those of you who are able to stick around, some uh, deli lunch will be provided. Um, also, we're commissioning our Romania team today. That will be in Unity Hall. So this is what you'll do. I'll remind you at our close this morning. You're gonna go to the commissioning of the Romanian team and then you're gonna go hear the Ukrainian report. That's how that'll work today. It is good to be with you this morning in worship. My name is Danny. If you are new with us today, we are just thrilled that you chose to worship with us. We would love to know that you were here, and you can do that by going to fbcsa.org 
connect. And that gives us an opportunity to make a connection with you at a later time. I would love to meet you this morning if I haven't already. Grab me immediately after the worship service and I'd love to see you with my own eyes and hear that name and make a connection with you then as well. Our mission as the First Baptist family is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and lead all others in a joyful life with him. And as I say every week, we're not perfect at that. We are not a perfect church. We are still learning and growing and trusting the promises of God and the spirit of God at work in us to fulfill that mission. And I hope you feel the same way. Continue to give through our church family. Uh, you can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give. We have been in a series on prayer. We have been jumping literally all over the scriptures. We have been taught about prayer uh, and we have seen examples of prayers, uh, Paul's prayer and Jesus's prayer. And today is no different. We'll be reading, we'll be overhearers of Nehemiah's prayer this morning um, and trusting that the God will use that to encourage us, equip us to be prayers, to pray more and not less in our life. So if you would stand with me and we're going to read just verses one through four together in preparation for our time in God's word. We're gonna do the best we can to pronounce these words, all right? So you can just stumble along with me. Here we go. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakiliah. In the late autumn, the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us about your people and the history of your people through this recorded word. Encourage us today as we read his prayer. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated, may be seated. So Nehemiah is a part of a series of books in the Old Testament that retell for us the story of the people of Israel and Judah's captivity, their exile. And Nehemiah in particular um, is a Jewish official that served as a cupbearer in the fortress of Susa of the Persian government. He was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, which is a very significant position. Do y'all, y'all remember probably in other accounts in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, uh, Joseph knew a cupbearer. That was a serious job 
right? He was put in prison because the king, the Pharaoh didn't trust him. So this is a significant position, but Nehemiah's role as cupbearer required that the king really trusted him. He was like the, the go-between between food and wine that the king would eat. So it was a serious job that he had to manage. And odds he had some kind of relationship that was established on that trust, but he was that official, that Jewish official in the king's palace, the fortress of Susa, which we've heard before already. Um, if you're familiar with the story of Esther, uh, that's in that account as well. But Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, tells us a story of a third wave of returning Jewish people to Jerusalem. There are, at this point, two previous waves, Zerubbabel, returned to Jerusalem to begin the reconstruction of the temple. It's a big deal. Um, and then you have Ezra who returned. He was a descendant of Aaron. And his role was to teach people the word of God, to remind them of the covenant of God and the law of God. And then we find Nehemiah who leads another wave of people returning to Jerusalem for a particular purpose, mostly to rebuild the wall that had been torn down as we heard in these previous verses. Something of note um, that's interesting, we have Ezra and Nehemiah, which originally were just one book, by the way. I, I don't know at what point in history they, we divided them in two, but they were one book, and Esther in the Bible, at least in our Bibles, is after Ezra and Nehemiah, but Esther actually tells the story of, of, of the people of, in exile that happened before Ezra and Nehemiah. So it really should be Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah chronologically, but most likely, it is likely that Nehemiah was a contemporary of a very seasoned Queen Esther. We don't know that for certain, but there are some who would say that she was there and still very much around. Um, this morning, we can't cover the book of Nehemiah, but we do have the privilege of being overhearers of his prayer um, on behalf of the people of Jerusalem. And so I want us to really quickly look at the anatomy of, of Nehemiah's prayer and then I want us to settle on two principles um, that we can learn from his prayer and from his next steps after his prayer. And so let's read this prayer together. This is beginning in verse five. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. 
The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. What we know from the word of God from the first four verses, and let me just remind you, we just read them a moment to go together, is that, that Nehemiah received report from one of his brothers and a delegation from Jerusalem. And the report was things were not going well. Things were not going well. That the wall, the defenses of the city had actually come down and the walls and the gates were destroyed. It was destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah's immediate response is grief. Uh, He immediately responds with grief. It literally knocks him off of his feet. He falls to his knees and he begins to fast and pray for days. For days, he is grieving for his people. He is burdened uh, by what is happening back home in that capital city of Judah. He is burdened by what the people are facing and the hardships that they have. This burden is very real and very heavy for Nehemiah. Something else that we see in this immediate response from Nehemiah is that it appears as if, much like Daniel before him, that Nehemiah has this very real and vibrant relationship with God, he, he believes the promises of God as we see in his prayer. But it seems like he already has this rhythm of prayer in his life. It's like his go-to. It's go-to. He didn't have to be reminded to pray or how to pray. It's clear that like Daniel before him, there is this daily rhythm. And it was, it's seemingly very natural for him as he carried this significant burden for the people back home that his immediate response was grief, real grief, fasting, and prayer. There's a very simple anatomy to this prayer. I'm just going to walk through these quickly. You'll see these as I say them, but what shape did this prayer take? What are the bones of this prayer? Well, first, beginning in verse five, he really makes an appeal to God's nature. Now, he's not reminding God. God, by the way, don't you remember who you are? No, God knows very well who he is. Uh, this is like Jesus' model prayer when he says, Father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is Nehemiah hallowing the name of the Lord, great and mighty God, right? He says from the beginning, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, What kind of God? The kind of God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love and obey his commands. So Nehemiah begins right from the beginning of honoring the Lord, hallowing his name. He's saying, Lord, I hallow your name. You are great and mighty and you are a loving God. The second part or bones of his prayer is in verses six and seven. He says, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. So he transitions 
from beholding and honoring the the name of God, appealing to God's nature and character. I know who you are and I worship you in who you are. And he turns and the, the original first appeal is, now see me praying in incredible humility before you. And then he begins to confess sin. Now notice, he's just not confessing his sin. He's saying, no, Lord, we have sinned. Your people have sinned. We, we didn't obey you. We didn't listen to your word. We didn't take anything seriously. We went our own way. And then he says, but not only did we sin, but even my own family has sinned and I've sinned. So he takes a moment in this prayer to posture himself in incredible humility before the Lord. Nehemiah has no righteousness of his own. He has no authority or position to come and demand God of anything because of what he's done. And so he acknowledges, we've done nothing. In fact, we, we've done everything you've told us not to do, which is why we're in exile. You fulfilled your promise. We'll get to that in a second. But he confesses, he repents, and not just for himself, but for his people. How often do we think of our sin and not just my sin? I think there's something to that. I think there's something about an individual and even a people gathering to confess our sin together. The third part of this prayer that we see is that he then makes an appeal to God's promises in verses eight and nine. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. That's what's happened. Both Israel and Judah, Israel first and Judah, were scattered among the nations because they were unfaithful to God. But here's the promise that the appeal to the promise of God in verse nine. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. This is a promise that we see in Jeremiah's prophecy that probably was handed down to them. They know the promises of God. And so Nehemiah goes from appealing to God's nature and character. You are a great and mighty God. You are unfailing in your covenant love. And we are a broken people. We have sinned against you. And even I have sinned against you. But now, Lord, remember what you said. Now, now we have borne the fruit of our own deeds and disobedience. We're in exile. You said you would send us into exile. But now, Lord, there's a, there's a, there's a people, there's a contingency, there's a remnant of people that are, that are returning to you and seeking to know you and be faithful to you. Will you honor that promise and return us to our land? He appeals to God's promises. Now, this isn't new either. We've been talking about this for almost week one that one of the ways that we pray is with the word of God open. Last week, we talked about what are some of the things that we know God will answer? What is his will? Well, the promises of God are God's will for his people. And so Nehemiah is putting into practice what we've been talking about a lot, which is praying according to God's will. Lord, you said this, and I'm entrusting my burden to your promise. 
And then lastly, he makes his request. He makes his request. Verse 10 and 11. and actually the middle of verse 11. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. That's the request. So it's clear in his grief, in his fasting and praying for days that he has begun to plan to intercede, not just in prayer, but in action. And so in this intercession, his request, this is what it comes down to. I've appealed to your unfailing love. I have confessed our sin as a people and for my own family. I have appealed to your promises. Now here's the ask. I'm about to go to the king. Will you give me success? and favor as I approach the king. For I'm the cupbearer. I'm the cupbearer. If anyone, he had opportunity. Wasn't a safe opportunity, but he had opportunity. But that's the nuts and bolts, the anatomy of Nehemiah's prayer. Now there are two principles I want us to talk about that I think can shape our own prayer life. The first thing that I think resonates with me as I read this prayer is that Nehemiah takes his burdens to the Lord. He takes the weight of the burden for his people to the Lord. What burdens us? What burdens you? And not just you, but what burdens our church family? What are some things that really bring grief to us? I mean, I know that the things that we face bring grief to us. Um, we, we share a different kinds of burdens because of different kinds of experiences. But most of the time, our our burdens, and I'm speaking for myself, our burdens sometimes just end right here, don't they? Just what I need. But what we find in Nehemiah is even though that these people were far off, he shared in their burden. He just didn't care about himself. I mean, he was, I mean, not living the high life necessarily, but he was in a comfortable position but he was burdened by the suffering and hardship that his people, his people in his hometown were experiencing. Are you guys burdened for the city? Are we burdened for our hometown? I know we're, we're, we're no Jerusalem. We're not in the exact situation that they're in, but it still it begs the question, do the burdens that we have move beyond ourselves? Move beyond ourselves. Do you know that within the next five years, Texas will grow by an additional five million people? By 2050, the population of Texas will double. That's insane. Going from 30 to 50 to 60 million people in Texas alone. The majority of the people 
moving into Texas, 95% of them are completely unchurched. Think about that. If we look at just the next five years alone and the next five million people moving to Texas, that means probably several hundred thousand people moving to San Antonio, most of which have no idea who Jesus is. Maybe just a name. And no one's ever invited them to follow Jesus. Do you have a burden for the city? What burdens do we have? Some people will say, Danny, why pray? I mean, God already knows those needs. He knows my personal needs, which are real. Those are burdens we carry. God is interested in those. We take those to him. There's burdens in the city. There's burdens in the world that we can carry and we should carry or be concerned about. Some will say, why why do we pray? If God already knows our need and has a will about him, He's gonna do what he wants anyway, right? What's the whole purpose? I think what we see in Nehemiah is that first principle. Prayer is never really about informing God on anything. We're not telling God something he doesn't already know. Prayer is never an IT ticket or a maintenance request. Lord, I just need you to get this done. Prayer is never just that, but prayer is the real life process of entrusting all of our cares and burdens to God. It's the handing over. It's it's the recognition that I can't carry this weight. I can't carry the weight of the concern of the city. I can't carry the weight of the things happening in my personal life. It's just far too heavy. And praying is that process of, Lord, I know who you are and your character and your unfailing love. Can I place these on your shoulders? Listen, we didn't invent therapy. God the whole time said, I'm inviting you in a relationship with me in the midst of your brokenness. And in that process of that invitation, you can entrust your burdens and cares to me. Where have y'all heard that before? Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, what did Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Nehemiah longed for the God of the universe, of his unfailing covenant love to shoulder the burden he was carrying. We know God's promises. When we come to God in prayer and process out the burdens we carry and share those things with him that he already knows. We come to a God who knows us, loves us, has promised to us, and the only one who can do anything about it. So will you come to the Lord in prayer? Will you not just speak your complaints and grumbling and suffering out there, about the experiences that you have, but will you take them to the Lord? And he says, come, all of you, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. 
when we come to God in prayer like that, when Nehemiah came to God in prayer, a God of awesome and mighty deeds of great love, he found rest. Will you do the same? The second principle, the second principle that we see I mean, from the very beginning, after, as soon as he hears this news, in the next few days, we see Nehemiah beginning to concoct a plan, put something in action. He recognizes because of his position, much like Esther before him, that God put him in such a time as this. In this position, no one else has access to the king like him. He takes action. He takes action. He, he, he puts steps to his requests. So not only is Nehemiah's prayer instructive, but also what he does next is very instructive. Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through six, early the following spring, so just maybe a few months later in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I never before appeared sad in his presence. So he, he had never had a disposition of sadness before the king. Part of his plan. I'm trusting God that the king's gonna notice something different about me. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Now, he had every reason to be terrified. Y'all remember, even the queen could not approach and initiate a conversation with the king. She could lose her life. He's just a cupbearer. And even though in a trusted relationship, there were certain protocols and decorum that had to take place. I mean, he was at great risk. Is the king gonna be unhappy because of my sad disposition? That's why he says, I'm terrified. But what's about to happen next? The king just initiated a conversation with me. And if this does not go well, I could lose my life. Man, putting feet in action to his prayer. So we find him planning and acting, putting feet to that prayer and request that he had asked the Lord just months before. I want you to notice that, that faith in God does not, being, not mean being fearless. Notice that. Sometimes we can think that faith in God's mean I, I can just be cavalier about everything, just super courageous and I don't have a care in the world. I'm just gonna do it and say it and don't feel anything. No, he felt a lot. He felt fear. But he moved and acted according to faith in God despite his fear, even though fear was staring at him in the face. He still moved And what we find happening through Nehemiah's action, his willingness to put feet to his prayer, to move and to act, what we find is that Nehemiah positions himself to experience God's yes. Can you imagine if it just stopped at the prayer? I'm just gonna wait for God's, he's, I'm just gonna wait for God to, a brick from heaven. I'm waiting for the brick and then I'll act. I'm gonna wait for that revelation. I'm gonna wait for that dream. I mean, they may come, 
But Nehemiah, trusting the promises of God, listen, I know you love your people. I know you've made a covenant for your people. And Lord, by the way, I've made a plan. And will you give me favor to the king because I'm about to move? If he had never acted, if he had never moved, he would never have experienced God's yes, that answer to that prayer. What if Peter never got out of the boat? Lord, seeing Jesus walking on water, can you tell me to come to you? Or at least Peter got an answer. Yeah, come on. But he got out of the boat, still fierce, right in his face. And he loses faith a little bit, he wobbles. And what happens? Does, does God say, does Jesus say, I'm just gonna let you go. I mean, your faith was good for a little bit, but man, shame on you. So disappointed. No, yeah, Jesus said, oh, you little faith, but he stuck out his hand and pulled him back up. Listen, sometimes we even have the yeses. We even know the will of God and still we're not willing to act. When the whole time God says, listen, I have told you my will. I've revealed to you my promises. Now, will you come faithful to me with your burdens and your cares and all your asks and will you move? And then will you watch me say yes? And if you stumble along the way, I'm not gonna leave you hanging. I'm gonna pick you up. Some of us are terrified to act and move because we think we'll fall on our face. And you know, that's okay. That's okay. Because where I am weak, he is strong. Let me say it again. If, if we do not act, if we do not put feet to our prayers, we will never experience the yeses of God. If we're always just waiting to see for someone else or some other thing or some other vision or some other brick, we will never know the yeses of God, the ones that he wants to say yes to. I want to, I want to give one example on how I think this should work for us. Last week, we talked about one of the promises of God is that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. We know that. God will not say no to a person who says, I want to know forgiveness and restoration in Jesus. I wanna follow Jesus. The promise of God is that when that person calls out like that, God will always say yes. Now, some of us are beginning to pray for people that we know, that we long, to call out to the Lord so that they can know forgiveness, so that they can know Jesus. We're praying for our neighbors who don't know Christ, who've never heard the invitation of Jesus, or hopefully we're praying for our city. And we should pray that way. We should pray for our neighbor that they might know Christ. We should pray for our city that it might be redeemed and hundreds and thousands through this church family and other church families might come to faith in Jesus and be a part of God's kingdom. We should be praying that way, but we can't just pray. We've gotta move. If we believe the promise of God that he will save everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, then how are we posturing ourselves beyond that prayer to invite someone to that promise? It's not enough that we just pray for our neighbor. It's not enough that we just pray for our city. We have to act, we have to move so that we can experience God's 
Yeses. Yeses. In closing, let me ask you this. What if we were burdened for the city? What if we did claim God's promises to redeem the lost? Um, Who are you praying for that needs an invitation to follow Jesus? And will you put feet to that prayer and invite them? You take them to coffee, take them to lunch, know their needs, bless them, and say, will you follow Jesus? And then, will you posture yourself to experience the yeses of God? Come to God and act and move. Put feet to your prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We're grateful for the testimony of Nehemiah who prayed and moved, trusting in your promises. Help us to do the same. Help us to pray, handing over our cares and burdens to you. And help us to step in to those prayers by faith, anticipating your yeses. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.